be in the house of the Lord this evening, you would take your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Of course, 1 Timothy was written to Timothy, Paul's preacher son in the faith, who probably at this point was pastor at Ephesus. He pastored Ephesus for a while, um, historians tell us. And the key verse uh, of Timothy, or the purpose of these two books, is, the key verse is that we ought to know how to behave ourselves in the house of God, which is a pillar, which is a pillar and ground of the truth. And of course, referring to the church. But I want to look at First Timothy chapter four tonight, and as we think about that theme of the book, verse. 11 says, These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And so tonight, be not despised, but an example. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your word tonight. I pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us in our walk with you. And might we be helped and you be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be not despised, but an example. To despise means to condemn, to disdain, or to just think little or nothing of it. You know, for example, in Matthew 6, 24, the Bible says, No man can serve two masters, for either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise or think little or nothing of the other. That's the idea. You cannot serve God and mammon. Uh, Matthew 18.10, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. So speaking of children, he said, Don't think, don't think uh, disdain them because they're little, or disregard them because they're little. They have souls, and they're going to spend eternity somewhere and of course, he gave us a warning not to offend one of these little ones. It'd be better if you have a millstone hanged about your neck and defend one of these little ones. He went on to say in Luke and Matthew 18. Uh, Romans 2 4, or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness. You know how many people you just take for granted the goodness of God, or I've had people say to me, Well, God never did anything for me. Giving you life, breath. Uh, if we got what we deserve, we know where we all be. Uh, but no, the despise, don't think little of or nothing of the goodness of God. Uh, and this is a good example, 1 Corinthians 6, 4, if you, then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are, and here's the word despise, the same Greek word, least esteemed. So those people you think are not important, in your church, Corinth, why don't you set them as judges over these matters? Because, you know, what the problem was at Corinth, there were some that were puffed up, and it was the ones that were puffed up that were really kind of running things, and those who were puffed up were overlooking gross sin in the church. So he said, you know, why don't you, those that you think little of or despise because they may be poor or whatever, uh, why don't you set them as judges in church? So God doesn't want us to be despised. He's telling Paul, of course, here, he's an older man telling a young man, Timothy, 
Don't let any man despise you. Just because you're young doesn't mean people have to despise. You have to be despised or thought little of. And of course, whether we are despised or whether we're an example is of our choices. It's of our choices. Uh, a person can't, somebody else can't take that away from you or give it to you. You know, they may harm your reputation or try to damage your reputation, but your character is what you are. And so, uh, so, you know, he says not to be despised. And he gives six things that we ought not to be despised or thought little of in, but be an example in. And that is, of course, the first one is word. The word has to do with our words. Uh, Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. You know, words are very important. Uh, and our words ought to be acceptable in the sight of God. You know, Psalm 19.14, Let the words of my, my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. If our words are acceptable in the sight of God, they will be acceptable to man. Or they will be, maybe I should say it this way, right before man. All men may not think them acceptable to them, but they are right. If they are acceptable to God, they are right in the sight of men, whether they men think it so or not. After all, man is not our judge. God is. So only one person we have to please, and that's the Lord. And so we should endeavor to make our words right in the sight of God, acceptable to God. Uh, they are to minister grace. Colossians 4, 6. Uh, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. So we ought to be gracious words. You know, one of the things they said about the Lord Jesus was, was the gracious words that he spoke. And, uh, and so, you know, they ought to be words of grace. And we, of course, we need to think before we speak. And of course, that goes without saying, if we're going to have words that are acceptable to God, we need to think about what is right in the sight of God before we answer, before we speak. Uh, Proverbs 15.28 says, The heart of the righteous studieth the answer, the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. And again, one of the things I want to emphasize here is words are powerful. They're more powerful than actions many times. They can hurt very deeply. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. You know, Paul said that they were, to some, the instruments of death. To others, they were the instruments of life. And the same word that he preached to some assured them because of their rebellion against God of their death. There's power in your words. Although their words had power to give them life that they refused it. It's like a savor, he said. It was a savor unto death. Uh, so we need to think about it. And, and words can be very hurtful. You know, we, we often, I'm sure you've probably heard the phrase, Growing up, you know, st- you know, we used to say this uh, at home or in school: "Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me." But that is not true. That is not true. You know, you can remember words. 
this is this past week guys daniel and i were setting some fence posts for our 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 goat pen area you know our goat pasture you know which is about the size of this church building and um anyway we're setting some fence posts and i can remember some words that my dad said to me when we were setting fence posts when i was probably 18 19 years old and they weren't nice words you know, I forgive my dad for it and everything, and he's even he apologized to us kids, but setting those fence posts brought back those words that he said. Uh, and so there, we need to be careful, be an example with our words. Don't be despised by your words. Secondly, we need to be an example in conversation, in, in word and in conversation. Of course, conversation has to do with our lifestyle or how we live. Um, you know, it, 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 you know, as uh, Corinthians says in First, Second uh, Corinthians seven, we're to be uh, cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. So, it has to do with our manner of life. Uh, we ought not to live according to the course of this world. Ephesians two two, uh, we're not to be conformed to this world. Romans twelve two, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You know, it, our lifestyle should be according to our citizenship. And if we're children of God, uh, you know, all things are to be made new. Philippians 3.20 says, For our conversation is in heaven, for whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things of himself. Now, you know, it says here, our conversation is in heaven. In other words, I believe that God beholds our lifestyle, the way we conduct ourselves. Whether it's in church or whether it's at home, whether it's in business or whatever it is we're doing, God is observing and beholding our conversation. After all, didn't he know all about Job? And he said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? You see, he was beholding the conversation or the life of Job, the lifestyle. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation, again your lifestyle, be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Our conversation is to be holy. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 14-16. through 16, Peter in First Peter 1, 14-16, says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So we're to, we're to have a God-likeness, that's godliness, uh, about our life uh, and, and, and things that we do. So, so these are the these are the things that ought to characterize our life: contentment, uh, godliness, holy living. But the third thing he speaks of is charity. Uh, Let no man despise thy youth. Be an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity. Charity, of course, is the word agape. Uh, speaks of uh, we use the word 
love uh, in the English language most commonly instead of the word charity, but it has the idea uh, a charity has a greater, fuller meaning. It's it's really a giving, uh, and it's something that is manifested. Uh, it speaks of a, an act of um, love, a, a giving love, which which is manifests itself in actions. Uh, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. There's an action there. Uh, our charity is to be without dissimulation or without hypocrisy, without feigning. Romans, Romans 12.9 says that, that, that charity is to be without without dissimulation. And that means without hypocrisy, without favoritism, or without... Uh, 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 it's not just to be putting on an act. It's supposed to be genuine. It's supposed to be real. And and we need to we need to demonstrate charity one to another. You know, charity or love is sacrificial. In John chapter fifteen, John fifteen, in verse uh, twelve through thirteen, this is my commandment: that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And so, you know, he's, you know, of course, Christ laid down his life for, for us. And he, he tells us that this is, in, in chapter 13, that this is the greatest commandment, is to love one another. And so, you know, it requires a manifestation. It is sacrificial. It is forbearing. In Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, and verses uh, 13 and 14. Colossians 3, 13 and 14, it says this, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And of course the word perfectness has the meaning maturity. And so, you know, we're to be, we're to be forbearing one another uh, it's almost like covering for one another. Giving one another the benefit of the doubt. It's not condoning or give allowance or overlooking imperfections or sin or errors in others, but it does allow for growth. You know, I, uh, Look at First Peter chapter four verse eight. First Peter four verse eight. You know, some people are very quick to criticize anything they deem may be a different opinion, or they de- they deem may be wrong in others. And really, that's that's a critical spirit. First uh, Peter four verse. 8 says, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourself, for charity shall cover the multitudes of sins. And so, yeah, there are things that you and I may not fully agree on about how we apply certain areas of life.
And you know what? We could pick each other apart doing criticizing each other over something that is not a doctrinal issue, but a preference. And and we have to be careful about that. We have to be careful about that. I mean, you know, if it's if it's a clearly doctrinal issue, we need to take a stand on it and hold it. But we also have to give allowance for growth in others. You know, Jesus said to his disciples at one point, I have many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. You know, I don't think we have a new convert come in. I don't think the first thing you ought to teach him about is dress standards. That's going to be hard to swallow right off the bat. Now, if, if they are really serious about the Lord, they may swallow it. You know, they may swallow it. But, you know, you, you wouldn't start there. Um, and again, I think dress standards are important. But you wouldn't start there. You'd give time for growth. Time for the Spirit of God to work in their hearts. And, and so on. And, and, and so, uh, you know, again, this, this charity here is the opposite of being critical. And of course, criticism often comes with pride. And, and we have to allow. You know, first, first Corinthians 13 says, we're to rejoice in the truth. Rejoice is not iniquity. Charity rejoices not iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Of course, we don't rejoice when others err, but we have to be careful and speak the truth and love. So we have to be forbearing with one another. Have charity, one another. Consideration. You know, one of the things that if you notice, I want you to go to Romans chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, would you not agree with me that Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, you know, we've just gone through this preaching Sunday mornings, been a while since we were in 1 Corinthians, but there was some heavy stuff that Paul addressed. Some serious wrongs that he very pointedly addressed in the church. Well, I want you to notice how he starts this letter. Paul, called to be apostle of Jesus Christ, to the Lord God and Sosthenes, our brother, and the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you in by Jesus Christ, that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of Jesus Christ. God is faithful to, by whom you are called into the fellowship of the Son, Jesus Christ the Lord. So he, 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 he writes, he gives, he commends them for their salvation. He commends them for the, the gifts that they had and for the, the grace of God working in their life. And he also encourages them in the fact that the Lord will continue. He'll confirm you. He wants to grow you and confirm you and bring you into a, a fuller 
fellowship with himself. Then he started. Then he started. Here's some issues that are hindering that fellowship with the Lord. And he started to correct them. Uh, so, you know, charity. We need to have charity one for another. Charity one for another. Then the fourth thing, spirit, 1 Timothy 4.12, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, and in spirit. And the word spirit here has the idea or the, the, the idea of our attitude, kind of our outlook on life, the principle of our life, uh, the demeanor of our life. Uh, you know, somebody might say, well, he has a bad attitude or he has a bad spirit. I mentioned this the other, I guess it was, what, Sunday night or something. I uh, talked about just a little bit. But, but uh, <coughs> a, 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 we need to be an example in spirit, in spirit. And Proverbs has a lot to say about this. In Proverbs chapter 15, <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 15, and verse 13, and also verse 15, says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. Verse 15, All the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. Now, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart doesn't say he's not afflicted. Doesn't it doesn't say he doesn't have any afflictions. It just says that, that he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast, whether he's afflicted or whether he's not. It's all about our outlook. Our attitude. Chapter twelve, verse twenty five. The heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Were you ever really discouraged? We've all been there, right? Discouraged, depressed, whatever adjective you want to give to it, we've all been there. Doesn't it make you feel old? Tired? Defeated? Like giving up? Just sort of like Elijah did. Went and hid himself. He ran away. And I'm the only one left. And might as well kill me. You know. No. But he says here, and so heaviness of the heart of a man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Proverbs seventeen twenty two. Seventeen twenty two. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. I was remember some years ago, uh, a fellow that we had some working relations with, uh, he got cancer, and his wife was saying once that said once that she read that you know one of the one of the things that cancer patients and of course other sick people one of the things that they the one thing they do not often do is laugh and medical profession has figured out that laughter is like a medicine it has healing properties well that's what the bible says here a merry heart doeth good like a medicine but a broken spirit draweth the bones 
You know, I believe that sometimes people's attitudes toward their sicknesses determines whether they get better or not. Some just give up. Proverbs 18.14 The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. Of course, Psalm 119, verse 50, This is my comfort and my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me, rejuvenated me, given me life, given me light. Uh, look at Psalm, uh, Psalm 27, verses 13 14 says this, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, the psalmist said, I, I would have fainted unless. See, we let God carry our burden. Proverbs 13, 15 says this, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressors is hard. Uh, and and we we let God carry our burden. We need, we need to understand that that He it is that we need to believe in Him, and we know that He is good, and wait on Him, and be of good courage, and allow Him to strengthen. Give us the strength that we need. You know the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter six that at Daniel there was found an excellent spirit in him. Now, I mean that means that where, wherever Daniel was, wherever he served, whether he was actually working for the king or not, he didn't always work for the king. Remember Belshazzar, they had to send for him. So he was not evidently working for Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. But he was still there. Uh, so whatever he found himself to do, wherever he found himself in, in life, whatever stage he was in, he had an excellent spirit, a pleasant, good attitude, even in difficult circumstances. And of course, that requires that we fill our minds with good things. You know, what we think on affects all these things. Uh, Philippians 4 says, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So we need to let our burdens or leave our burdens on the Lord. Let Him carry our burdens. And then he says in verse 8, Finally, brethren, what sort of things are true, what sort of things are honest, what sort of things are just, what sort of things are pure, what sort of things are lovely, what sort of things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, I realize if you listen to the world all day long, you're not going to hear a lot of good news. But there is some good things happening. I mean, the GDP went up 33% in the last quarter. That's good news. But the good news is, God's still on the throne. And if it wouldn't be for the Lord, and as I'm looking at the world scene and our national scene, if it wouldn't be for the Lord, I'd say like David, I'd had fainted unless I believed 
in the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so, you know, having a good spirit is going to be is going to be determined by our relationship with the Lord on our outlook through the Lord. Again, if we look this way, we're going to be discouraged. I believe that's why there was a window in the top of the ark, not on the sides. I don't think God wanted to know looking around at all those people dying as the waters covered the earth. But I think He wanted to know to be reminded consistently, I'm still here. This is my judgment. This is my world. And I promise to deliver you through this flood and I am going to deliver you through this flood. So be an example in spirit. I know it's easy. I know from experience, it's easy to get frustrated with the things in the world today. But we must have a good spirit. Be an example in spirit. In faith. In faith. Of course, believe in God. And again, I believe our spirit, our, our attitudes will be affected by our trust in God. As David said, I had fainted lest I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know, I know this is taking it out of context, but you know, they said about Jesus that he was from Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And you might, some people might say, can any good thing come out of what's going on in our nation? And that could be a legitimate question. Long term. But we have to believe that God is sovereign and that we can have confidence in Him. We need to trust in Him. Believe in His promises. There has to be a reliance upon Him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thy... Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not on thine understanding. All thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Uh, in all thy ways, there needs to be fidelity, observances of the promises of God, duties of God, the loyalty to God, and adherence to fact and the details of the Word of God. You know, details are important. Think about this. Hebrews 11 tells us that Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. There was a detail that was important in the sacrifice that was brought. That it was according to what God commanded. It wasn't that Cain's offering was bad. I don't believe he brought half-rotten produce. I believe he brought the best that he had. But the point is, it was not according to the details that were given to him. Details are important. I mean, if you have a destination tomorrow somewhere, but you take a different road, one little detail could send you to a different destination. 
Many are saying today, you don't have to repent. Leave out that detail, and it can be the difference between heaven and hell. See, details... And, and this, this is what we're talking about here. Faith, adherence, or loyalty to the facts or the details of the Word of God. You know, Moses missed one detail, and it cost him entrance to the promised land. God told him to speak to the rock, and Moses smote the rock twice. He lost his temper, and because he lost his temper, he lost his good sense that he normally had. And he did not observe a detail that God had given him, and that cost him entrance to the promised land, the thing that he wanted. And so, you know, we need to, we need to pay attention. We have to believe that God is right, and faith is we're not determined to alter what we do, no matter what others do. You know, Joshua 24, when Joshua was speaking to the children of Israel, he said this, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't know, and what he's saying is, he was challenging the children of Israel to serve the Lord also, but regardless of whether they did or not, he said, me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. So there must be this, Dependence, this trusting, this confidence in the Lord in all things. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. He has not forsaken us. And then, sixthly, purity. It says, Let none of them despise thy youth. Be thou an example of the believer in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, or in purity. So don't let anybody despise you but be an example in purity. It speaks of cleanliness or a wholesome or holiness in the inner man. Again, has to do with our thoughts, our attitudes, not just our actions. Romans twelve two says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 tells us we're to keep ourselves pure, both pure in body and in our spirit, which are God's. There needs to be purity of motive, purity of intentions. Look at James chapter 3 in verses 15 through 17. James 3 in verses 15 through 17. The Bible says here, the wisdom... This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. So it's got evil intentions. Where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So if there's uh, this this kind of wisdom, he says, there will be peace. If the fruit of it is peace, purity, purity of motive, purity. You know, you know, I can't look at you and know your motive or your intentions. 
I can make a judgment based on your actions, but even that is guesswork, unless there's a pattern. Then that usually makes it pretty evident. But God knows our motives. God knows our intentions. God knows why. Why you do what you do. He knows it. You know, Matthew 5 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Oh, they're going to they're behold God in their life. They're going to see Him. He's going to be evident in their life. Blessed are the pure in heart. In other words, they have pure motives. So we ought to be an example. Don't let anyone despise us or to think little of or think nothing of. No. Be an example of the believer. And only you and I can determine whether we be despised or whether we be looked at as an example. It's up to us as individuals. You know, like I say, somebody can damage your reputation by something they say about you, but nobody can take your character away from you. What you really are. You determine that. And this, we're talking about a character here. Somebody's character. So, might the Lord help us to be an example and not be despised. You know, if the world or if somebody that knew you was looking for an example of the Christian, would they look to you? Would they give consideration to your word? Would your word carry weight? Or would they say, oh well, you know, that came from so and so. So, you know, it's, it is what it is. Wouldn't pay too much attention to it. Or would they say, they live what they say. It has value. It, has, it carries weight with it. Uh, be thou an example of the believer.